Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast, brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. There is no better time than right now to sign up for a brand new account at MyBookie just by going to mybookie.ag. You have two promo codes to choose from. You can use our exclusive promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit if you're a new user. Or if you want a straight cash deposit, you can use the promo code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus on top of that first deposit. So two great options, guys. Make sure to take advantage of them while you still can at mybookie.ag. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler. You know the drill. I am back once again today for our official Kentucky game preview episode. And after Kentucky dominated Florida to the tune of 33-14 to last week and ran all over them in the process, all of a sudden, this is a game this weekend that has a lot more eyes on it than you would have thought maybe a couple of weeks ago. With that win over the Gators last weekend, Kentucky vaulted inside the top 25, coming in at number 20 right now. Obviously, our dogs are still number one in the country. So this is a top 25 matchup against two undefeated teams in the SEC East. So we have a lot to break down today, guys. A lot to dive into. I do want to go ahead and throw this out here at the outset. I'm going to move away just for this one episode from our traditional countdown game preview format where I go 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 5 players to know, 4 stats to matter, so on and so forth. Because this week, I have some overflow mailbag questions that I did not get a chance to get to on our mailbag episode. Had a few more keep coming in and something that honestly I just skipped over on accident. I just missed them because I got they got lost in the shuffle. So I don't want to leave people hanging. I want to answer those questions. So at the end of today's episode, I'm going to go back and answer a couple of those questions. The way I look at it, you guys take the time to listen to the show, to support our podcast, to send us those questions, and I feel like the least I can do is try to answer them. I I might not be able to get to every single one of them, but I want to get to as many of them as I possibly can. So to give me enough time to do that, we're going to do things a little bit differently with the preview. We're still going to do a deep dive into Kentucky, guys. Trust me, that's happening. You guys know me. I don't really know any other way to do it. So trust me, this will be a deep dive, but I'm going to streamline it a little bit, so to speak. But off the top... Let's start with this. I think it's important to understand what to expect coming into this game. I know 
that there has been a lot of consternation within this Georgia fan base over the course of the first five games of the season, primarily because we have gotten off to consistently slow starts offensively, and we have not really blown out either of our two Power 5 opponents, which is something that people in this fan base have just come to expect, even though that's not exactly how things went the past couple years. There were plenty of games where we did not blow out our opponents. Obviously, Missouri last year, Kentucky last year, 16-6 game, Clemson in 2021. We were up 10-7 on Tech at halftime last year on Tech. But then we did, of course, also have those games where we did blow out our opponents. It became far more common for us to do that than it was for us to play close games. So I understand that why that's the expectation now moving forward. It seems to be right now, at least among the majority of the Georgia fan base, and people kind of freak out when we only win games by 10 points or we only win a game on the road at Auburn in a tough environment, a rivalry game by seven points with a quarterback making his first career road start and a ton of impact players still out. But when it comes to something that you're this passionate about and that you care about this much, Context doesn't really always factor in the equation, right? So people are upset, frustrated, concerned about these slow starts. And I bring this up solely because I want you to prepare yourself for this to be a close game. And I don't want you to panic when it's a close game in the first half. And even if it's a close game into the third and fourth quarter, because the reality is guys, recent history tells us that's how Georgia Kentucky football games go. And the reason for that is because these two teams are so similar. They are built in the exact same ways. The core foundations of these programs are starkly similar. Both teams have built offensive identities defined by physicality and toughness, wanting to establish physical downhill running attacks, and you work play action off of that. And those tough physical offenses are designed to complement dominant physical defensive football. That is exactly why over the past four seasons in the first half of these Georgia Kentucky football games, we have averaged a seven and a half to two and a half halftime lead. Here are the halftime scores of the last four Georgia Kentucky football games going back to 2019. 2019, 0-0. Now, I remember that game. A lot of you might remember that game if you were there. It was a torrential downpour. It was just insanity. It was a flood. So you get why there wasn't much scoring there. But either way, both offenses, neither offense was really good in 2019. You guys remember our 2019 offense? Not great, but 0-0 at half there. 2020, 7-3. That was a COVID game. I actually went to that game, even though it was COVID. Found my way up in Lexington and made that trip. And in 2021, 14-7 and a half, and then 2022 last year, 9-0 at half. So they were close games at half. Now, obviously, we ended up pulling away and winning each of those games in the second half. Last year, it remained tight really throughout the game into the fourth quarter. We ended up winning that game 16-6. In 2021, it was a 14-7 halftime lead, ended up being 30-13. In 2020, 14-3 was the final score. We had a 7-3 halftime lead, and then 2019 ended up being 21-0 dogs. But these games have been close, and they feature teams, two teams, again, that want to run the football, so that runs the clock, and that ends up typically limiting possessions, and we have not had a lot of success racking up offensive yards against Kentucky. You just heard those scores. You know, last year, we had 363 total yards against Kentucky. The year before that, in 2021, 416. In 2020, 346. In 2019, 270. Now, of course, part of that is because Kentucky plays really good defense, but the other part, again, is because Both teams are on the football. They wind the clock. They want to shorten games. And the game last year was a prime example of that. So I just want you guys to prepare yourself for this to be a close game. And don't freak out in the middle of the game if it is closer than maybe you want it to be deep down and you think it should be. And don't freak out after the game if this is a game that we win by a touchdown or we win by 10 points. 
that's how these George Kentucky games have gone. And also, that's just kind of where our team is right now with the injuries that we're dealing with, still trying to find that offensive identity. I think we're getting closer to that. But I expect this to be a close game, and I think that you should too. Now, could this be a game that we just break out and blow them out? Yeah, of course. I mean, talent-wise, we are a good bit better than Kentucky. But again, just the style of the play of these two teams, how much they mirror each other, these games tend to play out in very close fashion. At least much closer than the games that we play against other teams that don't really play our style of football. So I just want to put that out there, but let's actually talk some football. Let's talk about what's going to go on on the field on Saturday between the hedges inside Sanford Stadium. Let's talk about this run game, this Kentucky run game. You guys know the numbers. You've heard about it all week. I know you know what Kentucky did to Florida. They ran for 329 yards against the Gators, and Ray Davis, their feature running back, transfer from Vanderbilt, ran for 280 himself. He had over 200 yards at the half. Four total touchdowns. The dude was a one-man wrecking crew. And let's talk a little bit more about Ray Davis and his game. This is a guy transferring over from Vanderbilt. Once I saw that he was entering the portal, I really wanted us to take a look at him. I knew that we had some guys coming back, Dejan Edwards, Kendall Milton, Branson Robinson. And I was obviously very high on Branson, still very am very high on Branson. And I love what Deja brings to the table. Kendall, as you know, you never know what to expect there with the injury situation. So I was hopeful that we'd go out and bring in a guy that had some experience. You know, we bring in Roger Robinson, but... Was he ready to contribute in year one and be that kind of guy? He's probably going to play for us once he gets healthy, but is he going to be a big-time contributor in year one? I still don't think that's going to be the case. Andrew Paul coming off injury. I want us to go out and get a back. And the two guys I was looking at were Ray Davis from Vanderbilt and then Marshawn Lloyd from South Carolina. We recruited him heavily. We had a good relationship with him in, in, uh, in his time coming out of high school. But he decided to go out west, go to USC, took a big payday. And look, I don't, I don't begrudge him that. Hey, man, get your NIL money while you can. I understand it. So we didn't get either of those guys. And I guess our coaching staff felt comfortable with the guys that we had. Because on, on paper, it was, oh, yeah, we're fine. But I was always kind of uneasy about the running back situation coming into the year. And, well, look where we are right now. But he's at Kentucky. Good spot for him because he is a perfect fit for what Kentucky wants to do. He fits that downhill running style. He broke off some big runs against Florida, but he's I would not categorize him as a as an explosive back. I don't think he's that kind of like home run threat. Now, don't get me wrong. He can break a, a long run. He can do that, but he's not a burner. Let's say that. I wouldn't classify him as a burner. He's got good solid speed, but he doesn't have elite home run type speed. But he doesn't have to have that to be effective. What this guy has are a lot of the skills that I put far ahead of home run speed in terms of my evaluations of running backs. First off, he has incredible vision and just feel playing that position. He knows how to set up blocks. He knows how to press the line of scrimmage and get defenders to commit and then be able to out leverage them. He runs with power, but more than that, he runs with incredible contact balance. This guy can take a hit and stay on his feet like nobody else in the SEC right now. You know, running over people's great and all. It's fun. You get jacked up. You get pumped up. And you see guys do that. But a lot of times when you run over somebody, people just like trip over their own two feet and then they end up falling over. Not Ray Davis. This guy has what I think is even more important. He has that contact balance. He's also exceptionally quick in the short area. He has that one cut ability that kind of like DeAndre Swift had once upon a time. I guess maybe he still has it, but when he was playing here at George, obviously we saw that on full display every Saturday. He's got that kind of ability, not quite to the level of Swift, but he's got that type of ability. And he can also make you miss. He's really, really tough to corral in the open space. So Davis is a fantastic running back who really fits that Kentucky offensive identity. And I knew once they got him, 
that that was a big pickup for them. That's one of the reasons, along with Devin Leary, who we'll get to here in a minute, why I felt really strongly that Kentucky was going to be a good football team. I put a massive win total bet on them to go over six and a half. They're already at five. They're going to get to seven. I hope that this is not one of them, but this is a team that I was very, very high on coming to the season, and Ray Davis was a big part of that because I liked what he did at Vanderbilt. I know what Kentucky does offensively, and he was a perfect fit for that. And now after he just completely sliced up the Florida defense last weekend, now everybody's talking about Ray Davis. Now, apparently everybody knows about Ray Davis. When about a week ago, about three-fourths of the SEC footprint couldn't have told you who Ray Davis played for. But now everybody knows about him because of what he did to Florida. Now everybody is expecting him to just run all over Georgia because of what Auburn did to us last weekend, rushing for over 200 yards against our defense. The first time that we've given up over 200 yards in almost five years. It was that perfect storm of events last weekend from Kentucky's side, our side, to convince people out there in the world that Kentucky's going to come to Georgia and run all over us and give us everything we can handle. And there's more than a few people out there whispering, oh yeah, I think Kentucky's going to knock off Georgia. And let's be honest, there are some people in this fan base who are very, very concerned about this game heading into Saturday. My dad is one of them. Love him dearly, but he saw what Auburn did to us last weekend. He's one of these guys that, he, he's always a cup half empty kind of guy. Again, love him dearly, but this is the way he looks at it, especially when it comes to sports. And he saw what Auburn did to us, and he saw what Kentucky did to Florida, and he's like, oh my God, we're going to lose this weekend. There's no chance. You're going to run all over us. And while I do understand that sentiment, I think you have to look a little bit further than just saying, wow, Kentucky ran all over Florida. And Florida had a really good rush defense coming into that game. They shut down the Kentucky rush attack, which has been a really good running game all season long, leading the SEC in rushing. So if Kentucky was able to run all over Florida like that, and Georgia just got ran all over by Auburn, who can't throw the football, then clearly Kentucky is just going to do whatever they want against Georgia on the ground. I understand the sentiment. I get it. But that's not how these things work. Football's a game of matchups. And the matchups don't really favor Kentucky in terms of how they run the football. That's the thing, guys. It's not that Kentucky can run the football. We know that they can. It's how they run the football. And it's also how Auburn ran the football on us last week. We talked about this all week already on this show about how Auburn was able to put up over 200 yards rushing on our defense. They did not do that by running right at us. They did not do that by running between the tackles. They did not do that by running the football down our throat. The people who are suggesting that they did, there are plenty of people out there using those exact words. Auburn ran the ball right down Georgia's throat. They ran all over Georgia. Did they? Did you actually watch the game? Or are you just doing the stat watching? Because if you actually watched that game and you were actually an intellectually honest person, then you know that what I just said is true. Auburn did not run the ball down our throats. Yes, they ran for 200 plus yards. Those are facts. That's reality. That happened. But it didn't happen by just pounding us, by moving us on the line of scrimmage. That is not how that went down. It was misdirection. It was counter. It was getting our eyes in the wrong spot. Now we have to fix that. All of that has to be fixed. I'm not excusing that away. We have to correct that. And I believe that we will. But Auburn did not do that to us by lining up and just outmanning us on the line of scrimmage. No one has done that yet to this point this season. Now, can Kentucky do that? It's certainly possible. Maybe they can be that team. But here's why I don't feel like Kentucky is going to have that type of success running the football on us like Auburn did last week. It's the way that they run the football. They run the ball right at you. What they are going to try to do is line up and run the ball between the tackles down our throat. That is what Kentucky does. That is what they did to Florida last week. And the other part of this is 
Kentucky does not have the threat of the quarterback run. I'm not saying that Leary is a statue. He's not. He can move a little bit, but they're not going to run design QB run stuff with him. They're not going to do with him what Auburn did with Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford last weekend. He is not that kind of quarterback. In short, Kentucky's not going to be able to run what was basically an option offense last week against us. They're not going to be able to do that. I have told you guys for a couple of weeks, I told you I think on Monday's episode, that quarterback runs have accounted for 44% of the rush yards that we have surrendered this year. 43 carries for 252 yards, 5.86 yards per carry quarterback runs. Now, not all those were designed. Some of those were scrambles. Some of those were designed. It just depends on what game you're talking about. Running backs, on the other hand, have run the ball 100 times against us for 315 yards, which is 3.15 yards per carry. Go back and watch the games, guys. I've watched every single game that we've played many, many times already this season. No one has run the football with any sort of consistency between the tackles on us. Now, there might be an isolated play here or there, but those are the exceptions. When Auburn tried to run the football between the tackles last week, the vast majority of the time, we absolutely stoned them. We were striking blocks, we weren't getting moved, and we were stoning them at the line of scrimmage. Same thing with South Carolina. Who was their leading rusher? Spencer Rattler. And Kentucky does not have that type of threat at quarterback. They're going to line up, they're going to turn around and hand the ball off to Ray Davis, and they're going to try to outman us or try to move us in line of scrimmage. And again, I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying that has not happened yet. No one has done that. What Kentucky's going to try to do to us, the way that they're going to try to attack our defense, has not been successful at any point this season. No one has been able to do that. Hell, no one's been able to do it for about five years. I'm also not completely sold on this Kentucky offensive line, guys. The Kentucky O-line last year was the worst in the SEC. Maybe the second worst if you want to throw Vanderbilt. Maybe Vanderbilt was worse. I guess that's probably fair. But outside of Vandy, Kentucky was absolutely dreadful last year on the offensive line. And I thought they might take a pretty big step back losing all those NFL guys from 2021 when they were good. I didn't see them taking that big of a step back, but they did. This year, they went out to the portal, got some guys. They are improved on the offensive line. I still don't know if they're that good. I don't think that they are. Now, look, we're not as good on the defensive line without a guy like Jalen Carter. I still think that we're really strong on the defensive line, though. So I think this is a battle that we can win against the Kentucky offensive line, especially, again, when you don't have the threat of a quarterback run, which does not give them that plus one advantage in the box. So I know all the talk. I know all the talk is about this Kentucky run game, what they did to Florida, what Auburn did to us last week, the matchup there, and the conclusion from a lot of people out there is, man, Kentucky's going to run all over Georgia. Can Georgia survive? Can Georgia find a way to stop the Kentucky run game? I think so. Personally, I think so because, again, history tells me that isn't going to be the case, and it's a matchup thing. The way that Kentucky runs the football plays right into our hands. The way that Auburn runs the football is what gives us trouble, and Kentucky is simply not equipped from a personal standpoint to be able to run the ball that way. So the next question becomes, all right, if Kentucky cannot run their way to a victory, just like solely relying on the run like they did last week, can their passing game do enough for them to pull the upset? And this is where I am still skeptical. Now, I was pretty high on Devin Leary coming into the season. I still think Devin Leary is a good quarterback. But the, you never know when you're talking about transfer guys because it's a new system. He's working with Liam Cohen. He comes over from NC State. It is a different system than what they were running NC State under Tim Beck. And so the transition has not been altogether smooth for him at Kentucky. The numbers are not great right now, guys. Kentucky right now is 13th in the league, just ahead of Vanderbilt in completion percentage at 56.9% on the year, and they are 10th in the league in yards per attempt 
at only 7.8 yards per attempt. What does that mean? Well, it means two things. They have not been efficient throwing the football, nor have they been explosive throwing the football. Leary's total QBR right now is 47.5. That was 89th in the country. He's thrown 10 touchdowns to five picks, a little over 1,100 yards passing. But let's dive a little bit further here, guys. In his two games against Power 5 competition, he is a combined 24 of 48. 50% passing on the dot against Power 5 opponents, two touchdowns, two picks. And who are those two Power 5 opponents? Florida, who's fine, okay, whatever, and Vanderbilt, who is the worst team in the league. I have seen Devin Leary play football at the college level at a high level at NC State back in 2021. Devin Leary, however, has also dealt with a lot of injuries throughout his career. He's been around for a long time, but hasn't played altogether that much football at least as much as you expect a guy that's been around for five or six years, however long he's been around, I think five years now, because he's been, he's been injured so much. Like the only full year he's ever been actually to stay healthy and play was 2021. He put up a lot of big numbers in that season. So I was thinking if Kentucky gets that version of, of Devin Leary this year, watch out. That could be really good. They haven't gotten that version of him yet. Now, maybe that version's still in there. Maybe it's going to come out the rest of the way, but he has not been that guy to this point. Now, I do think that he has a couple of really interesting receivers to work with some guys that have they have flashed pretty explosive ability they just haven't been consistently explosive this year there's two sophomores they were freshmen last year they kind of broke on the scene they didn't really throw the ball well last year because number one they couldn't protect will levis and the number two will levis just wasn't good but barry and brown and dane key are two really gifted talented receivers now brown is more explosive key's a little bit bigger a little bit longer but they're both two really good receivers Brown's got 19 catches on the year for 251. Key's got 13 for 196. I really like both those players. The guy who's actually leading them in receiving right now, though, is a dude named Tavion Robinson. He's been there for a couple of years. He actually transferred in last year. There's a thought that he might leave after last year, but he stayed around. So they got three solid receivers. Tavion Robinson, a little bit smaller guy, a shiftier, more of a slot receiver type player. 19 catches, 308 yards in the year, 16.2 yards per catch, and three touchdowns on the year. So that's, that's a good trio of receivers. Not an elite trio, but three guys that can absolutely make plays in the passing game. But that passing game has not clicked yet to this point. At least not to the point where I can sit here and say, well, if Kentucky is struggling to run the football, if they can't run the football with the type of success that they need to to win this game, that the Kentucky passing offense, Devin Leary and company, can pick up the slack and go out and win this football game for them. They have not shown me that yet. And honestly, I'm skeptical if they have that ability in them whatsoever. In my opinion, what Kentucky has to have happen in this game if they're going to have a chance to win is they have got to run the football with success. And with success, guys, I mean, they, they need to be averaging about five yards a pop. They need to be running for 150 plus on us and force us to roll safeties into the box. If they can do that, then they can hit play action down the field to, a, again, a trio of receivers, I think, can make plays if they get those one-on-one opportunities. But if they cannot run the football and force us to give them those one-on-one opportunities, then it's not going to happen. Their passing game is not good enough to be able to go out there and win the football game for them if we're allowed to sit back in a too high safety shell. They just aren't there yet from a passing standpoint, which is why I think one of the two keys to this game is going to be, can Georgia stop the Kentucky run game? That's what it's going to come down to, guys. I know that seems so simplistic, but if they cannot run the football, they cannot win. Unless we just give them the game and turn the ball over five times. Absent that, They cannot win. They cannot win this game if they cannot run the football. Their offense is not equipped to go out and win the ball with the passing game without the run game working. I'm also going to throw this out here while we're talking about the offense. We're going to move to the defense here in just a minute. I usually avoid using history, what's happened in previous matchups between two teams, to inform what's going to happen in this game because those were different teams. Those were different players. 
When people analyze a game by saying, well, Team A's beating Team B 15 times in a row, so that means they're going to win this game. I know that's what history says, but how does that tell us anything about this game, these players, what's going to happen between the white lines this Saturday? I'm usually loath to kind of include that into my analysis. I think it's pretty shallow and doesn't tell us what's going on this week with this team in this context. But I'm going to make an exception this week because, again, these teams are so, so similar and how they go about their business, how they are built, how they are structured, what their identity is, what their philosophy is. So I do believe that you can look back at recent history. I'm not going to go back to like the Tim Couch era, but the last couple of years, Kirby Smart and Mark Stoops in this era, and that can inform what is going to happen in this game and what to expect in this game. If you look back the past couple of years, in fact, let's go all the way back to 2016, Kirby Smart's first year here in Athens. And over the last seven seasons, this is year eight, in his first seven seasons at Georgia, Kirby Smart defenses have only allowed 261 yards on average against Kentucky. Kentucky offenses have only averaged 261 yards a game in seven matchups against Kirby Smart Georgia defenses. And this Kentucky offense, guys, is built almost the exact same way as all those other Kentucky offenses. A tough, physical ground game with a tough, physical running back with a receiver or two that can make plays one-on-one off play action. So if those offenses, with guys like Benny Snell and Chris Rodriguez at running back, weren't able to gash Georgia why is this Kentucky offense going to be able to do that? Just because we gave up 200 plus yards rushing to Auburn last week against a very, very, very different rushing attack? I don't know, man. I don't know about that. And look, I know Kentucky fans love Liam Cohen. And for good reason. He's a really good offensive coordinator. He's the guy that was the coordinator back in 2021 when they posted the best offensive numbers across the board that they'd ever had offensively in the March Stoops era. And he parlayed that into the Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator position, but he left the Rams after one year to come back to Kentucky, and here he is. And guys, the Kentucky offense under Rich Gangrello last year completely bottomed out. They were so, so bad on offense last year. In fact, I would argue that Kentucky last year offensively was the worst team in the SEC. I think the numbers would back me up on that. If you just watch them play, you would say, oh yeah, this offense sucks. They were terrible last year. I mean, if you look at their total offense numbers, they averaged 324 yards games last year, guys. That's t- almost 25 less than Vanderbilt average last year. They could not move the football. Yards per play, 5.2 yards per play. Again, dead last in the SEC. Now this year, I'm not saying that their offense is stellar, but it's significantly better than it was last year. Right now, they're third in the SEC in yards per play with 7.19 yards per play. Total offense, now they're this one's misleading because they don't run with pace. They slow it down offensively to complement their defense just like we do. So they're eighth in total offense in the league. But again, I look far more at yards per play, that efficiency there. They've been efficient offensively mainly because they've been able to run the football. So Cohen is a really good offensive coordinator. But let's go back to what happened in 2021. And again, here's me doing what I usually hate to do, looking at history two years ago to inform and instruct us in what's going to happen in this game. Well, in 2021, the reason I'm using as an example, Kentucky had one of the best offensive lines in all of America. They had multiple NFL dudes on that offensive line. And what did they manage offensively against our defense? 243 total yards and 51 yards rushing. 
1.9 yards per attempt. Now, yes, I understand the Georgia defense in 2021 was historic level good. I know that we are not that good on defense this year, but Kentucky is also not that good on the offensive line this year either. But to me, it all kind of levels out. And again, that was Liam Cohen back in 2021. That was the best offense they'd ever had in the Mark II era. So again, why are we expecting this Kentucky team to come into Athens on Saturday night and be able to run the football down our throat and have success against this Georgia defense, at least enough success to win the football game? Why are we expecting that? Just because Kentucky ran for all those yards against Florida and Auburn ran for all those yards against us? If that's what you're hanging your head on, you are choosing to look at like 5% of the evidence as opposed to the other 95% of the evidence that would suggest the opposite. So again, you're welcome to feel however you want to feel about this game. And I'm not saying Kentucky cannot have success running the football. I'm not saying they cannot have success offensively. I'm just saying all of the data points that we have, all of the evidence that I've seen with my own two eyes, evidence from what both of these teams have done this year, the Kentucky offense, the Georgia defense, and what these two teams have done against each other going back the past couple years in these matchups. That evidence tells me two things. Number one, it's probably going to be a close game, especially in the first half. Number two, Kentucky is not going to have a ton of success moving the football offensively. Could this year be different? Sure. Yeah, whatever. It could be. But I'm a betting guy. I like to play the odds. And the odds tell me they're going to have trouble moving the ball on any sort of consistent fashion on Saturday night. All right, guys, before we move on to the defense, I do quickly want to take a break and remind you guys once again about our great friends at MyBookie. This weekend has a bunch of great games. Guys, I'm liking these lines. I didn't love the lines last week. I actually have quite a few that I got my eye on, and we'll give you those picks later this week when Charlie comes back and joins me for our Picks of the Week episode. But if you haven't got in on the action yet, guys, there's no better time to do it than right now. Just go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, and when you do so, you have two promo codes to choose from. You can use our promo code UGA, to get a 50% bonus on that first deposit, which is does come with a playthrough. Or if you want to avoid the playthrough, you can use the promo code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus on top of that first deposit, which goes straight into your account. Don't have to worry about the playthrough or anything like that. That is your money to do as you please with. They also have a great, awesome, really, really helpful cash out early option this year for you guys to use to your benefit as you're betting on some of those parlays. So again, jump in on the action today, guys, at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA or promo code 200CASH to bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys, let's move this thing over to the defensive side of the ball. And this is really what this Kentucky team is built on. And if you would asked me back in the preseason, which I did tell you, why I was so high on Kentucky, yeah, Ray Davis was good. Yeah, I thought Devin Leary would be better than Will Levis was. And I think he still can be. But really, it was a defense. I just have so much respect for Mark Stoops and what he does year in, year out defensively. And I, I know you look at Kentucky and you think, oh, man, this is a team that can't really recruit at high levels. They don't really have high-level players. They're just really well coached. And yes, they are really, really well coached. But don't let the fact that it's Kentucky fool you. They have some big-time players on the defense side of this ball. They really, really do. In fact, if you look at the, the defensive front, they got some guys that would play for us right now. In fact, they got a guy in Deion Walker, we'll talk about here in a minute, who would 100,000% start for us. If he was on Georgia, in fact, if he was on our team, this guy would be an All-American caliber guy. And he still might be an All-American caliber guy. He just plays for Kentucky, so not that many people know about him. I think by the end of the year, people will know this guy's name. We'll get to him in just a second. But defensively, they are very strong. This is a Kentucky team, guys. They're built on defense. Right now, they're fifth in the SEC in total defense, 297 yards per game. They're fifth in the SEC in yards per play allowed at 4.56. So under 300 yards per game. The only reason they're fifth in the SEC is because the SEC does have so many good defenses right now. Also, the SEC is kind of short in supply on elite quarterback play. But 
this is a really good defense, and they're third in the league in scoring defense, giving up 15.2 points per game. So the numbers are really, really good. But there is some context. You know I'm a context guy. I also have to put this out there. And I'm not trying to take too much away from them because they are good. They have really good players. But they also really have not played any offense with a pulse whatsoever. They really just haven't, guys. The five games they've played to this point, all right? I'm going to take out one of them as an FCS opponent against Eastern Kentucky. I'm taking Eastern Kentucky out of the equation. And that's not because I'm trying to cherry-pick stats. In fact, Eastern Kentucky put up over 300 yards of offense against Kentucky. I'm just taking them out because they're not FBS. They're not ranked in the FBS rankings. They're not an FBS team. So the four FBS teams that they have played offensively have averaged 101st offensively. They have not played anybody. And that's in total offense. And those four FBS teams they've played have averaged 100th ranking in scoring offense. That's who they have played, guys. They've actually played two teams that I would call bottom eight offenses in terms of both scoring offense and total offense. They played Akron. They played Ball State. Both those teams are bottom eight in scoring and total offense. And then in the SEC, they played Vanderbilt and they played Florida. Yeah, Florida can run the ball fairly well, but Florida got behind that game, had to get away from the run. And we know Graham Mertz is not equipped to beat you with his arm. We know that. We know that Florida offense is not good. So while their numbers are great right now, and I still certainly think they have some really talented players, as I'm about to detail here in a minute, there's some context here. I don't know exactly how good this Kentucky defense is. Are they good? Yes, I think that they are good. But are they, let's hold teams under 300 yards for the season good? I don't know if they're that good when they actually play an offense with a pulse, which I do believe that we are. Now, are we still banged up offensively? Yes, of course. Are we hitting on all cylinders offensively? No, of course not. We are not. We're getting closer, but we're still not hitting on all cylinders. But we are certainly the most talented and explosive offense and just most efficient offense that they have played all year long. There's zero doubt about that to this point. But personnel-wise, I do think this team is really good. Let's get into the personnel here. I mentioned Deion Walker. We got to start with him. This guy is a, I called Ray Davis a one-man wrecking crew. Deion Walker is a one-man wrecking crew on the other side of the ball. This dude is an elite, elite defensive lineman. In fact, I might, I might go as far as calling him the best defensive lineman in America, at least based on the guys that I have seen to this point. I haven't seen everybody. I've watched a lot of football. Maybe there's somebody out there that's that's better than him on the defensive line. When he is actually at his best and he's choosing to actually play, because that's one thing about Deion Walker, guys, we'll talk about here in a minute, dude takes plays off. He does not have a lot of endurance. He takes plays off. He, he will definitely just sit there and rest for a, a play or two. But when he is fully loaded and he's not winded and he's playing 100 miles an hour, he's playing full speed, that guy is as good as it gets in the college game right now along the defensive front. He is 6'6", 350. He is very similar to Jordan Davis. I'm not going to call him Jordan Davis because Jordan was awesome, but he's that type of guy, just a big, massive body that is also very nimble and very athletic. With that size, he absolutely can anchor against the run and blow up the run in the backfield, but he also, with his athleticism, has serious pass rushing ability. And I'm not talking about just bull rush, guys. He can do that, but he will put pass rush moves on centers, on guards. He's got swim moves. He's got spin moves. This dude is an athlete at the interior defensive line position. In fact, he's so athletic that they will drop him into coverage. They did that a time or two against Florida. I think one of them was on an interception. He didn't intercept the ball, but it was on one of the interceptions. And this dude's dropping into coverage. He is that kind of athlete at 6'6", 350. What makes him even more difficult to handle is he's got versatility with that athleticism. With Jordan, we played him at the zero tech. That dude did not really play much else than zero tech. Occasionally, we might here and there slim down to a three, but that was very, very, very rare. He will play, Walker will play a zero tech, 
He'll play a three tech. Heck, even they'll slide him out to a five tech at times, depending on who they're playing situationally and matchup wise. This guy has the versatility to move up and down the line of scrimmage, which makes it really unpredictable where he's going to be. It makes you hard. It makes it tough to game plan for him. So this guy is a legit all-American caliber player. And yeah, I don't care it's Kentucky. This guy is the truth. He is the real deal. I'm telling you, this guy is a game wrecker. If you have not seen Kentucky play, you will notice him right off the bat on Saturday night. You can't miss him because this guy, he's huge, number one. And number two, dude's awesome. He's awesome. Now, again, he will take plays off, though. He plays a lot for them because he's that good. And here's the thing with Kentucky. They're not as deep as we are. They can't just rotate guys in and out. When they do rotate him out, they're, they're, there's a drop off there. So he stays out there a lot. And he's not in the greatest shape. He's a big dude. He's a big dude. I mean, Jordan Davis struggled with this at times. He got better as his, as his career went on. But he struggled with this early in his career. But he will take plays off. Like, he'll make a huge play. And then the next play, he just, like, stands up and just doesn't even do anything. He just stands there. It'll happen. So when he does that, we've got to take advantage of it, which is one of the reasons I would personally like to see us use some more tempo. Curtis and I talked about this in the recap episode. I do feel like Carson Beck operates well with tempo right now. I feel like with the margins being reduced right now with our team and, and limiting possession, especially against a team like Kentucky, where possessions are already limited historically when we play them, I think it would behoove us, for a lot of reasons, to run with some tempo in this game. And we start to show signs of doing that, but one of the reasons I do think would be a big benefit for us in this game to use tempo is to wear out this Kentucky defense. In general, they don't have a ton of depth like we do. But specifically with Deion Walker, who is clearly their best player on the entire team, you have got to tire this guy out because he will take plays off. And if they have to sub him out, there's a massive drop-off. We can run the football when he's not in the game. So tempo, run the ball side to sideline, screen game, get this guy moving side to side and wear him out. Because if he is full speed, and we don't wear him out. He is tough to handle. The way Arvin's Vine has played very consistently to this point this year, I don't know, man. He could wreck the game plan. He absolutely could. But Walker, as good as he is, is not alone on this, this Kentucky defense. He's clearly the best player on the defense, but he's not the only guy that can make plays. Trevin Wallace, an inside linebacker, is another guy to absolutely watch out for in this game. He's a silent sideline type guy. He's actually a George Navy. He's from Jessup, 6'2", 241. He's a junior. He moves really well. He's instinctive. He's played a lot of football for them. He is a leader on that defense in the middle of their defense. He does struggle at times when the ball is coming right at him, but he's really good sign on sideline. And he's a he's a tough physical linebacker. He's just a, a good football player. He's not dynamic. He's not going to be a first-round draft pick, but he's a good football player, has good athleticism. He doesn't really have any obvious liabilities in his game. J.J. Weaver is another player. He's a pass rusher for them. He's one of their edge players. And he's a guy that has never quite produced at the level that I think he's capable of. I think he topped out a couple years ago at six and a half sacks for a single season. And right now, if you look at his numbers, they're not all that inspiring. He has two sacks right now. He has 12 total tackles on the season. But he's a guy, he's, he's long, he's athletic, and he has pass rush ability. He just doesn't seem to always put it all together. I mean, he's 6'5", guys. He's got great length. I think the issue for him really has been size. It's almost like an Adam Anderson type thing. He's got that kind of body, which just isn't really thick. So if offensive linemen can get their hands on him, he has trouble beating that. But if he can use his speed, if he can use his length to get to the quarterback, he can absolutely be another guy that could wreck a game plan. He can make a big play. And with the inconsistency of our offensive line in general and our offensive tackles in particular this season, that's somewhat scary. They have a guy who's not always a dominant pass rusher, but certainly flashes that ability. He's a guy that could give us some issues. So their front six is really good. Octavius Oxenine at the five tech is another really good player. Not a dominant player, but a guy who's played a lot of football for them. He's really strong at the point of attack. He's a really good run defender. So their front six has been really good. That's why this is a really, really good run defense. If you look at their numbers in the SEC, right now Kentucky's second in the league in rush defense. They're also second in the league 
in yards per rush allowed at only 2.54. This is a really, really, really good rush defense, guys. And the reason for that is because they have really good players in that front six, headlined, obviously, by Deion Walker. Now, the back end, a little bit of a different story. They're not bad in the back end. They're not terrible. They're just not as good as they are in that front six. I think their safeties can be had in coverage. Zion Shoulders and Jordan Lovett. I think that those are some guys that we can get some matchups on that will favor us, whether it's Brock Bowers, whether it's Dominic Lovett, Arian Smith, whether it's Lad McConkey. I think we can get some matchups there that will favor us in this game if we can scheme that up. And as a whole, this Kentucky pass defense, again, it's not bad. It's just kind of average. It's middle of the pack. They're seventh in the SEC right now in passing defense. And they've also given up a pretty high quantity of explosive plays. They're 71st nationally right now in plays of 20 or more yards allowed, explosive plays. Now compare that to our offense. Again, football's given matchups, right? I know this might not seem like it's the case because I know people are frustrated with Carson Beck not pushing the ball down the field, taking the check downs, but we're actually 13th in the country in plays of 20 or more yards. Now that includes rushes too, but how many rushing plays do we have for 20 or more yards? We're throwing the ball when we're getting our explosive plays right now. So I do think there are some explosive plays there to be had in this game. Hopefully this is where we start to get right and hit some of those explosive plays that we became accustomed to over the past couple years under Todd Munkin. And then third down defense is another area where they struggle right now. They're borderline bottom 100. They're 95th nationally in third down defense. They're allowing conversions on 42% of opponent third down situations. Now compare that to us. One of the things that we've talked about the past couple of weeks is we have become a really good third down offense. We are seventh nationally right now in third down conversions, converting 54.69 of our third downs. So even if Kentucky is able to slow down our run game, which there's a decent chance that's going to happen, and they get us to third and long, third down situations that you would think would favor them, we actually have the advantage there. We've been far better on third downs offensively than they have been against third downs on defense. So what's the key here? I told you the key against the Kentucky offense was for us to be able to stop the run. Pretty obvious, right? Well, against the Kentucky defense, I think the key here is very similar. Can we find a way to run the ball enough? We don't have to be dominant here. Can we find a way to keep them honest on the ground? This is a line of scrimmage game. It always has been with Kirby Smart and Mark Stoops mashing up. These teams, as I told you at the outset of the show, are built in almost identical fashion and play a lot of really close games because of it. The margins get smaller when possessions get limited and the game shrinks. This game will be won and lost in the trenches. Can we stop their run game enough to force them to beat us with the pass? Because I don't think they can do that. Can we run the ball enough to keep them honest? Can we run the ball enough to start to force them to bring a safety in the box? That's what they're going to try to do, guys. I'm telling you right now, here is what they are going to try to do. They're going to dare us to run the ball with success against their front six. Because they're going to think that they are good enough in the front six to go to match up with our offensive line, who has not played especially well right now, especially with Amarius Mims not in the equation, they think they're going to be good enough, at least they're going to try to prove they're good enough to stop our run game with even numbers in the box, which will allow them to do exactly what we do to teams defensively, keep a too high safety shell and limit explosive plays. And that was the most concerning thing to me coming out of the Auburn game because Auburn was able to do that far too much my liking. You don't see that against Georgia offenses. It's extraordinarily rare for teams to sit back there with two high safeties on first and second down, those standard down situations, because they know that we're going to run the football on them. Right now, our run game, because of injuries to the running back position, because of offensive line inconsistencies, injuries all along the offensive line, it's not scaring anybody. It's not scaring anybody. It was somewhat startling to see Auburn sit back there in a two high safety shell and just dare us to run the football on them, and we still 
didn't have that much success. We ran the ball fine with our running backs, but it wasn't what you would expect it to be when they're sitting back like that and trying to defend the, our run game with even numbers. And Kentucky's front six guys, I'm telling you, is better than Auburn's front six. I know everyone's concerned about stopping Ray Davis. I'm more concerned about our ability to run the ball against the Kentucky defense. Now, I will say, if we cannot run the football against Kentucky and have to win with the pass, I think that we are more equipped to be able to do that than Kentucky is. I think we have more weapons to work with. I think Carson Beck is better than Devin Leary. We're also working at home. We don't have the crowd always working against us. So if neither team can really run the football and they're going to have to rely on the pass game to find a way to do enough to win the game, I like our chances to be able to do that more than Kentucky because I just think that we have better players with, with our skill, talent, receiver, and with our quarterback. And of course, obviously with Brock Bowers. But if we can find a way to do enough on the ground, to threaten them enough to where they start to kind of creep those safeties in the box, then I really, really like our chances. And I don't see any way Kentucky can win the game if we can run the ball like that. If we can run the ball enough, I just don't think they can beat us. Now, if they stone us with their front six with even numbers, then things get iffy. But this is going to be a lines of scrimmage game. This is an old man football game. And whoever wins that battle, the Georgia defensive line versus the Kentucky offensive line and vice versa is going to win this football game. So there's your breakdown. There's your preview, guys, of this Georgia-Kentucky matchup. We're going to have our official predictions Thursday night on our Picks of the Week episode. So make sure to tune back in for that to get our final predictions on how we think this game is going to play out. But I do have some mailbag questions I do want to get to before we get out of here. First, though, I want to remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, they have new stuff hitting the shelves seemingly every single day. I'm in there at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. And I'm telling you guys, every time I pop in there, there's something new on the shelves. Recently, got some new Onward Reserve stuff. Selling like hotcakes. You want to get on that if you're in Onward Reserve before they're all gone. They've got a ton of new drinkware for you guys. So if you're a coffee drinker, you need a new water bottle, a new drinking glass, a new wine glass. They've got a ton of stuff for you. So if you're coming in town this weekend for the game, make sure to stop by Alumni Hall just past 316 off the Coney Connector inside the Epsbury Shopping Center. But if you're not coming to town, it's all good. You can go to alumnihall.com. They have all the same great gear for you to choose from. But if you're looking for some Georgia gear, take my word for it. Alumni Hall is the place to go because that is where the Bulldogs shop. Okay, guys, let's wrap this up with a couple of those overflow mailbag questions. I want to start with a question from our guy, Sam, who's a great friend of the podcast, and I'm mad at myself for missing this question. Sam said this one on Sunday, one of the first questions that we got sent in, and just got lost in the shuffle. My bad. So I want to make sure we answer Sam's question here. Always appreciate you, man. Sam asked, out of the remaining seven regular season games, how many do you think will be one-score games, and do you still think the Dogs will finish 12-0? So as always, a great question from Sam. Yeah, it's a good one, man. I've been telling you guys for a couple of weeks that I do think the margins are reduced right now. Do we have one of the best rosters in college football? Yes, absolutely. Recruiting rankings tell you that. I test tells you that. We still have one of the best, I'd say two to three best rosters, most talented rosters in all of college football with one caveat, when we are fully healthy. We are clearly not fully healthy right now. So do we still have a better roster than most of the teams, every other team on our schedule? Yes, we still have a better roster than every other team on our schedule. But with all of the injuries, our roster is not as much better as all the other teams on our schedule as it once was when we were fully healthy. And that results in reduced margins on the field. 
We are getting healthier, which certainly helps getting Lad McConkey back. Hopefully, he can knock on wood, fingers crossed, he can stay healthy and get back in shape, get back into game speed very, very quickly for us. We know Branson Robinson's not coming back. That dude is not walking through that door. We are what we are. Running back, it'd be nice to have some more bodies healthy back there to get Kendall back fully healthy, or at least as close as Kendall gets to fully healthy. It'd be nice to get Roger Robinson back there just to have depth at that position. It would be amazing to get a Marius Mims back after the bye week for the cocktail party. It'd also be really nice to get a guy like Tyrion Ingram Dawkins back, who no one's really talking about right now. That guy is a talented player, and he's a really good, at the very least, a good depth piece for us on the defensive front. But I think as you've seen already this season, with the injury situation that we currently have right now, matched with all the inexperience we have at key positions. I think Carson Beck has played extraordinarily well. I mean, I've said it a couple times past couple weeks, guys. I will say it again. His first five starts are the best first five starts of any quarterback in Georgia history. He has exceeded any reasonable expectation that I had for him. I think anyone should have had for him coming into this season. But we've got two new guys starting the left side of our offensive line. We've got a brand new starter at cornerback. In fact, we're still rotating two guys there with Dalen Everett and Julio Humphrey. We've got C.J. Allen playing significant snaps at inside linebacker as a true freshman. We've got Javon Buller playing a new position. We know how good he is, but it's a new position for him. Tyke Smith getting his first extended run with our defense. Marvin Jones Jr. playing real snaps for the first time in his career. Christian Miller getting first snaps, real snaps for the first time in his career. So all of that inexperience combined with the injuries has created a situation where the margins are just smaller. And we've seen that play out in our first two conference games against South Carolina and Auburn. Are we better than South Carolina and Auburn even with the injuries and the experience? Yes, clearly we won those football games. Would we have won those games by greater margins if we were fully healthy? Yeah, we would have, but we're not. And I do think in the short term, until we get healthier, you're going to continue to see some smaller margins. Now, we are nearing the halfway point. This is the midway point of the regular season right here against Kentucky. I, as I said earlier, I do expect this game to be another one of those closer margin games. And that's just more historically how we play Kentucky. These Kirby Smart, Mark Stoops mashups, two very similar teams. We just play closer games based on how both teams operate, trying to shorten the game. Both teams like to run the football. So I could very much see this being another one of those games where it's a closer margin. Vanderbilt should not be. I don't care what the injury situation is. I don't care about the inexperience. That should not be a close margin. If it is, we got some issues. Ryan goes, Vandy is not good. They are terrible. Florida's a rivalry game. It depends on who we've got back. How healthy are we? Is Mims back? Are we healthier at running back? Is Ladd up to full speed, which I think he will be and hope he will be? If that's the case, that certainly helps things. And I think that we should beat Florida by two-plus touchdowns. We are two-plus touchdowns better than that team from a roster standpoint. It is a rivalry game, though. We saw how that played out at Auburn. Now, we're not in a hostile environment. But that's a game that we should win comfortably. And I, honestly, right now, I expect us to win that game comfortably. Missouri is a very interesting matchup. I don't know how much of Missouri you guys have watched. They are a good football team. They are exceeding my expectations for them. That's that's one team that right now I would say I was wrong about in the preseason. I had them going 6-6. Six and six. I did not believe in Brady Cook because he had given me no reason to believe in Brady Cook up until this point in his career, but the dude's playing lights out, and you got to adjust your opinion based on new data, new evidence, and he's given us reason to believe now this guy can play at a high level. He's doing his Power 5 opponents, and I like what I see from him. Luther Burden is the real deal. Offensively, they are playing at a high level. Defensively, they're not an elite defense, but they are a good defense. It's also kind of a trap game spot, really. That game and Ole Miss, I think, could be classified as trap game spots. That could be 
that could end up being a one-score game. I, I think that we are more than one score better than Missouri, especially at home. I would I would like to think that if we're fully healthy or as healthy as we're going to get this year, and who knows, somebody else might go down. Knock on wood, fingers crossed, hope not. We'll see. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't hate to put that out there. But we should beat Missouri by two to three touchdowns. But with how they're throwing the football right now, we know over the past couple of years, we've had issues against teams that can really throw the football with good quarterback play and high-level receiver play. And right now, they have that. Now, I want to see it more consistently get for, from Brady Cook against good defenses, but he's doing everything that they could expect from him right now. He's playing at a really, really high level. So it could be a one-score game. I just I wouldn't project it to be a one-score game right now. Ole Miss absolutely could be a one-score game. You know how they play? Lane Kiffin is willing to take those risks. He is all about the analytics. They'll go for a fourth down lot. And they're they're going to be playing us in Athens. They're going to be coming in there probably, I would imagine. This is what Lane Kiffin does with a house money attitude. Like we got nothing to lose. Let's go in there and let's just lay it on the line. Let's go for a fourth down, throw the kitchen sink at them and see what we can do. And we know they can score. They just put up 700 yards on LSU. And I know LSU has issues on defense. Trust me, I know that. But 700 yards, they can move the football. And I said it earlier in the week, but this is the one team left on our regular season schedule that can even remotely come close to attacking us with their run game the way that Auburn attacked us. Because Jackson Dart is a guy that's capable of doing some of those things. I don't think he's as good of a runner as Peyton Thorne, certainly not as, as good as Robbie Ashford, but he, he is a competent runner. I do think we should be able to score, maybe not at will, but close to it on that defense. They did give up 652 to LSU and they had a hard time stopping them, got lucky a couple times. And uh, we're able to win the game. Good for them. But that, I mean, that could be a one-score game. I don't think it should be, though. Tennessee on the road, could that be a one-score game? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I do think that we are better than Tennessee. The setting, the environment, atmosphere of that game could certainly reduce those margins. Absolutely. I am not a believer in Joe Milton. I don't think anyone should be a believer in Joe Milton because what is what reason has he given you to be a believer in him? And not only do I not believe in Joe Milton, I told you guys before the season, it's not just Joe Milton. That's a big part of it. They do not have the skill talent around him that they had last year around Hendon Hooker. It's not the same offense. I just was bashing my head against the wall all offseason, seeing all these Tennessee fans on social media talking about how this offense was going to be better this year and take a step forward and win the national title this year. Like, what are you talking about? How is that going to be remotely possible when you're taking a step down at quarterback and a step down at every single receiver spot on your team? I guess Brew McCoy came back. Now he's injured. I mean, his his foot literally fell off. I don't know if you guys saw that against South Carolina. It was just an ugly, ugly injury. But they're not as good a receiver. They're not as good at quarterback, but they're supposed to be better this year. That was never going to happen. I told you guys that, and it's playing out like that right now. Now, are they still capable of beating us? Sure. All on the road, they're good enough. Their defense is actually playing at a pretty high level. They're they're good on defense. And that could absolutely be a one-score game. I, I I think that we could certainly go in there and beat them by a couple scores, but that could be a one-score game for sure. Tech, not no, no. Tech is better this year. Not a one-score game. Their defense is awful. They just lost to Bowling Green. Defense cannot stop anybody right now. Not anybody with a pulse, if you even want to say Bowling Green has a pulse. Offensively, Tech is better. Their lines of scrimmage still aren't there right now, and I think that's where we will dominate that game, so that's not going to be a one-score game. But if you look at it, okay, could Florida be a one-score game? Sure. Could Kentucky be a one-score game? Sure. Could Missouri, Ole Miss? Yeah, technically they could be. But as I've been saying the past couple weeks, I do think that this Georgia team is going to improve as the season progresses. I don't think the team that you've seen the past couple of weeks is going to be the same team that you're going to see the second weekend in November. I don't think that's going to be the case. That's a hallmark of Kirby Smart teams. They improve, they get better. And as we get healthier, that's always going to help us improve and get better. So one-score games, let's, you know what, let's say, I, I don't know, two more games. I think Kentucky will be a, could very well be a one-score game, again, just based off history and how these two teams match up with each other. And then maybe you can throw another game in there, one of those games, whether it's at Tennessee, maybe Ole Miss, maybe it's Missouri, I don't know. I think one of those games could end up being a one-score game. So yeah, let's say two? I, I would put the over-under at two right now. And then as for the second part of the question, do I still think that we're going to go 12-0? and 
As of right now, yes, I do. And it's not because I think that we're the best team in the country right now. I told you guys last week, I don't think that's the case. We are not the best team in the country right now. I think that we have the bones to end up becoming the best team in the country and develop into that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can still do that. I think that we've shown signs of that. But I don't know that we're there right now. Now, the caveat to that is who is? Who is the best team in the country? Because all the potential contenders that you would throw up for that designation, they all have their warts, man. They, they, they've all had problems. They've all had issues at times. I know Florida State has a couple of huge wins against LSU and at Clemson. But they also barely got out alive against Boston College. I know you say the same thing about us with, with Auburn, but... They barely, literally barely got out of Boston College life, and Boston College is not as good as Auburn. They're just not. Texas didn't play particularly well against Wyoming. Washington just beat Arizona by a touchdown. Arizona by a touchdown. That's a team that had to go to overtime to beat Mississippi State, and if you've seen Mississippi State, guys, you know how bad that team is. They are not a good football team. There's a very real chance they could go 0-8 in the SEC this year, and Arizona had to beat them in overtime. And Washington, who was killing everybody, only beat them by a touchdown. No one's talking about that. Everyone just wants to talk about, oh, Georgia. Georgia barely got out of Auburn life. Georgia barely beat Auburn. Well, you can say the same thing about Washington. But that's the new kid on the block. That's the darling. People aren't looking to poke holes in them. They want to prop them up. They want to poke holes in Georgia because we've won two national titles in a row. So I don't know who the best team in the country is right now. It's, I don't think it's us right now, but I don't know if there's any team that's just the runaway best team in the country. But that doesn't matter right now. What matters is every week, are we going to be the best team on the field? And if you look at our schedule, I still believe that we are better than every team on our schedule. Now, are we going to beat the hell out of every team on our schedule like we had the past couple of years? No, probably not. Probably not. But we still we can still beat them. doesn't mean we're not going to beat those teams. We are better than Kentucky. We are better than Vanderbilt, obviously. We are better than Florida. We are better than Missouri. We are better than Ole Miss. Ole Miss is good. It's going to be a challenge. But we are better than Ole Miss. We have better players. We have better coaching staff than Ole Miss does. We are better than Georgia Tech. Could we screw up and lose one of those games? Sure. We're better than Tennessee. Could we lose that game? Sure. But right now, I'm not going to bet on us losing any of those games because I think that we are better than those teams if we play like we are capable of, even close to our standard. Now, have we seen us play like that this year? No, not really. We haven't played to our standard maybe in any of these games, but who's to say the other teams that we're going to be playing are going to be playing their best game they play? I know we'll get their best shot. Like They'll be motivated, but are they going to play at the highest level that they can when they play us? Maybe. And if that happens, if it's a perfect storm, they play their A game, and we play like a, a C game or a B minus game. Tennessee in Knoxville is good enough to beat us. Ole Miss would be good enough to beat us in that scenario. But when I'm betting on games, I'm looking down the road saying, okay, are we going to win this game? Are we going to lose this game? I look at it from the standpoint of if both teams play their best, who wins? And if you look at the rest of our games, the rest of this season, the regular season, if we play our best and our opponent plays their best, we are going to win those football games. Now, will we get our best? I don't know. I don't know. I can't predict it. That's why this. That's why we watch. That's why we tune in to watch. You don't know what team you're going to get, but if we get the right Georgia team, we will win every single game. So yeah, right now, I'm going to stick with 12-0. Am I as confident as I was in the preseason that we would go 12-0? No, my comments level has certainly diminished, but I'm still going to sit here and say right now, there's a better chance of us going 12-0 than 11-1. Okay, next question comes from Alan, another really good friend of the podcast, who has a question about us taking shots down the field in the passing game. He says, I don't recall seeing that many, if any, deep ball attempts against the War Eagle Tiger Plainsman. Yes. Was that a conscious choice or was Auburn doing something schematically 
to limit those opportunities. And he does specify that he means air yards with the deep balls. Yeah, you're you're completely right, Alan. It's a great observation. We did not take a ton of vertical shots. We had that one the first quarter to Oscar Dub. It was a seam shot. That was a tough throw, but Carson missed that. I'd like to see him hit that one. Obviously, he missed it. But outside that, we really didn't take a ton of vertical shots in that game. And there was a reason for that. I kind of alluded to it earlier in the show. Auburn, the biggest thing that concerned me coming out of that game is Auburn was able to largely defend our run game with even numbers in the box, which allowed them to keep a too high safety shell for most of the game, which was eliminating those one-on-one opportunities on the outside. That's where we want to take our vertical shots, right? Off play action, when we have a safety sneaking into the box, and we want to take the play action shots down the field in one-on-one coverage. They were not giving us those opportunities because they were having success stopping our run game, relatively speaking, with even numbers. So those vertical shots just weren't there. We were able to manufacture one or two here, like the one to Oscar Delp I mentioned, but just they, they weren't there like they typically are for us. And that's one of the things that does concern me because we need to find a way to hit explosive plays. It's hard to do that when you can't run the football and force defenses to roll guys in the box. It makes it a lot tougher. That kind of screws with our philosophy and kind of just what we do from an identity standpoint offensively. So how do we respond? We started attacking the middle of the field. That's how Brock Bowers ended up having a legacy drive to close out that game because they were playing that too high safety shell, middle of the field open coverage. We're playing a lot of cover two, some quarters coverage, but primarily cover two. And what is one of the primary weaknesses of cover two? The middle of the field. And that is where we were attacking. That is where we were hitting Brock on all those dig routes. And if we cannot find a way to run the football more successfully and threaten teams the way that we have traditionally... We're going to have to do a lot more of that. And you're not going to see as many of the vertical shots as you saw the past couple years under Todd Munkin because we don't have the run game right now that's threatening teams the way that we did the past couple years. Now, we weren't a dominant run team the past couple years, like since Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb and maybe DeAndre Swift, but we were good enough to threaten teams and they still defended us that way. Right now, teams are starting to back off a little bit. And that's one of the things that's working against Mike Bobo right now. I know everyone like likes to point at Mike Bobo. I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people like to point at Mike Bobo and say, you're not Todd Munkin. You suck. We hate you. You're a terrible coordinator. He's not working with the same deck of cards, guys, that Todd Munkin was. This is a different offense with different personnel, different players, and he's having to make what he can out of what he has to work with. One of the issues he has right now is we are not running the ball as effectively as we were the past couple of years. And so he's thrown into different coverage looks than what Todd Munkin had Stetson Bennett throwing into for the majority of the past two seasons. So I hope that answers your question, Alan. It was really just more of a coverage thing, a scheme thing, and how Auburn was defending us. And our last question, guys, how could I have possibly forgot this one? Josh, my man, I, I, I don't know what to say. I sincerely apologize. How could I possibly forget Josh, one of the best friends we have in the podcast? And Josh had a great question about Dominic Lovett. Our man Josh asked, how can we get more use and explosiveness from Dominic Lovett? You are of the same mind as I am, my man. Josh, yeah, dude, you nailed this one. Dominic Lovett is a guy that has absolute big play potential. We have not seen that from him. What we've used him with primarily to this point is the RPO game. Screen game, RPO game. We haven't seen him line up and take those vertical shots. We've tried a, a couple here and there. There's a couple we dialed up early in the year where we didn't have the protection. We couldn't get the ball to him. I would like to see us take more shots. Now, again, that depends largely on how teams are covering us. If we're playing, if they're playing with two high safety shells, you're not going to get those shots. But if we can force some of those looks, those advantageous looks, where he's going to get some single coverage in the slot, well, we can run some slot fades with him, and that's what he killed people with. That's how he hurt us last year when we were playing in Columbia. The slot fade is that dude's route. I mean, that's what that guy runs, and I think cars can hit those throws. But we tried to get him the ball in space. With the screen game, we try to get the ball in space with the RPO game. And he's had some moderate success doing that, but he hasn't broken loose yet. He's going to, guys, at some point. 
Dominic Lovett is going to break loose. He's too talented. He's too explosive. It really, to me, though, comes back down. I know I keep saying it, but it's so important. We've got to find a way to run the football more effectively. Because if we do, that's when a guy like Dominic Lovett becomes a major weapon because he's going to get those one-on-one opportunities, and those are matchups that he is going to win the vast majority of the time. It's just tough for him to do that. We have a safety sitting over the top of you right there. But I'm with you, Josh. I'm waiting more so impatiently at this point for Dominic Love to break out. Again, I don't think it's so much a him thing. It's just a matter of how teams are defending us right now and our inability to run the football. But it's going to happen. I, I believe. I believe it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when, not if, right? I hope, think, maybe, possibly. But all right, guys, that officially does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you, of course, as always, for being here. Help us spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family about the show. It's football season. I know they want some Georgia coverage. And I I know there's a lot of great stuff out there, but we cover Georgia football in a way that I don't think that anyone else really covers it out there. I don't know if it's better. I don't know. I just think it's different. So if you have people that are like you that enjoy this kind of in-depth Georgia football coverage, make sure to tell them about the show. Have them check it out, and we'd be incredibly appreciative of that. But thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Charlie, be back with me on Thursday night for our Picks of the Week, where we will also give you our final Georgia-Kentucky game prediction. So come on back, guys. We'll have that episode for you guys on Thursday night. But I'm Tyler, and as always... Go dogs!